On Sunday, September 24th, 1950, night happened much too early in parts of Pennsylvania. In fact, it happened in the early afternoon. It began at about 3 o'clock when the sky began to go dark all across the Pennsylvania wilds region. And by 4 o'clock in the afternoon, it looked like it was midnight. It was a day that became known as Black Sunday. It was reported that nocturnal birds and animals were coming out, while on neighboring farms, chickens went home to roost for the night. Robert Lyman of Potter County, Pennsylvania, wrote a book about this incident called Amazing Indeed. And he reported this. He said, It became darker and darker as impenetrable clouds blanketed the sky as the black clouds massed, amassed and churned and tumbled. And as the lights faded, the land was left with a very deep darkness. On that memorable afternoon, phone lines, as you can imagine, jammed with people calling one another and trying to figure out what on earth was going on. Speculation involved UFOs, a solar eclipse, or the Russians perhaps dropping an atomic bomb. A woman driving through the region at the time, seeing this darkness, reported the following. She said, I thought I was going crazy. It was afternoon, and I had to turn on my high beams. The phenomenon lasted several hours, finally moving to the north and becoming light again just before nightfall, and then it got dark at the usual hour. Well, later, when the crisis passed, the explanation for this mysterious daytime darkness was that smoke from a large Canadian forest fire had traveled very quickly to this region in Pennsylvania and had blocked out the sun, literally. But Black Sunday was a day, as you can imagine, that was not soon forgotten, especially by those who witnessed it and experienced it. But there was an even darker day many years before this one. And it wasn't due to a natural cause like a forest fire. In fact, it was a day when an eerie supernatural darkness fell over the land of Judea in Jerusalem, which was on the day of Christ's death on the cross at Calvary. So today, on this Resurrection Sunday, which commemorates the most brilliant day of light ever to occur in the history of the world. And in an effort to deepen your appreciation and understanding of what this day really means and also what it cost, I want to first focus your attention by way of contrast upon this mysterious darkness that accompanied the death of Christ. So the theme, as you notice in the bulletin, is the darkness at Calvary. The darkness at Calvary. 
And there are several things about this darkness I want you to consider with me this morning. Several questions that we need to answer to enable us to have a a greater appreciation for the one who called himself the light of the world. So these are the three questions we'll consider in connection with the theme. They're printed uh, in your bulletin there on the right-hand side. Take a look with me. First question is this. What is the meaning of darkness in Scripture? Secondly, who administered divine judgment during the three hours of darkness? And thirdly, what does the Father's judgment of his Son at Calvary mean for us? Before we answer those questions, let's first consider the context and setting of the passage. Earlier, Bruce read verses 32 to 46, and it makes it very clear, does it not, that this is the account of Christ's crucifixion at Calvary. That day had begun about 6 a.m. at daybreak. So the third hour would be 9 a.m., which was when Jesus was nailed to the cross. And the sixth hour, mentioned in our text, verse 44, would be three hours later at high noon, when the sun was at its highest point during the day. So at this point in our text, verse 44, Jesus had already been on the cross for three hours and had suffered the immense physical agonies of crucifixion and also had endured his enemies' cruel tauntings and mockeries. And during those three hours between the third hour And the sixth hour, our Lord suffered much at the hands of men. In fact, the agonies of crucifixion preceded by scourging are far beyond human description. Death by crucifixion, as Dr. William Edwards wrote one time in the Journal of American Medical Association, said was in every sense of the word excruciating. It was the most cruel method of execution in the ancient world. And for three long hours, Jesus had not only suffered the physical agony of having his back and sides shredded by a flagellum that stripped away pieces of flesh from his body, but he also suffered the mental and emotional agony of those who stood in near proximity to him, taunting and mocking him. End quote. You notice in verses 35 and following that this mockery came from four groups of people. Jews in general referring to, referred to as the people in verse 35. Secondly, the rulers, which were the 70 members of the Jewish Sanhedrin who sneered and mocked at him saying, He saved others, let him save himself if he be the Christ, the chosen of God. And then third in verse 36, soldiers, notice, also mocked him by offering him sour wine 
and saying to him, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. Save yourself. And in verse 39, even the criminal who was being crucified alongside of Christ taunted him in the same manner. And Mark 15, 32 says that in the earlier moments of the crucifixion, not only one, but both criminals who were crucified with Christ were actually reviling him. There are deathbed repentances. So up to this point, Jesus had experienced intense physical, mental, and emotional suffering from the hands and mouths of men. However, the worst was yet to come. The worst was yet to come. In fact, something far worse than what Christ had already experienced was just about to happen. What he had already suffered was immense, but the suffering he was about to experience in the next three hours, from noon to three, would make all of what he had thus far suffered seem to pale in insignificance by comparison. And the onset of darkness, listen, the onset of darkness was the visual sign that indicated that much worse suffering was just ahead. So the first question that we will answer is this. What does darkness mean in Scripture? Well, it means several things. First, darkness means night. In Isaiah 45, 7, God said, I form the light and I create darkness. And in Genesis 1, 5, God called the, the light day and the darkness he called night. And then second, darkness also refers to hell or Hades, which Jesus in Matthew 25, 30 called the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And third... And to our point, darkness is also used throughout Scripture in both the Old Testament and the New as figurative of divine judgment. For instance, in Ezekiel 32.7, the Lord said this, When I put out your light... I will cover the heavens and make its stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. All the bright lights of the heavens I will make dark over you and bring darkness upon your land, says the Lord God. End quote. Now this primarily refers to the end of the age when the Lord returns, but it's also a picture of what God did in Egypt when he sent the ninth plague, you remember, upon the land. In Exodus 10, 21, we read this, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand toward heaven, that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt. Darkness which may even be felt 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was thick darkness in all the land of Egypt for three days. And in the New Testament, darkness is also used in a figurative way to refer to divine judgment. For instance, at Christ's second advent, when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead, he gave this description in Matthew 24, 29. He said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be what? Darkened. And the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So, in both the Old and New Testaments, darkness is used figuratively of divine judgment. And listen, the Jews of Jesus' day, they knew that that was the case. They knew that that was true. And therefore, at Calvary, when Christ was being crucified, and when the sixth hour came, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, it was generally understood that this was a sign of divine judgment. Darkness was a display of God's judgment. Because you see, in Scripture, darkness and divine judgment go together. They go together. This thought leads to our second question, which is this. Who administered divine judgment during the three hours of darkness? And here's where many live with a great deal of misunderstanding and confusion, I think. They think that the suffering Jesus experienced at Calvary was only from the hands of men, of wicked men, and that the darkness that fell upon the land was only an indication from God of his frown, as it were, upon their wicked behavior and their abuse of his son. But that misses, listen, that misses the main point of the Christian gospel which is that Christ not only suffered at the hands of men, but also at the hands of Almighty God. You see, the reason why it got dark at noon over all the land for three hours was because during those hours, God made Christ to be sin. For us. God made Christ to be a curse for us, as we read earlier. And he poured out judgment and wrath upon Christ, his Son, as our substitute and our sin-bearer. In other words, at Calvary, Jesus took the bullet of God's wrath and punishment that our sins deserved. And by the way, that's why a movie like The Passion of the Christ misses the point concerning Christ's suffering. It only focuses on his suffering at the hands of men. 
but not from the hand of God. Because you see, the punishment that Jesus experienced from the hands of the Roman soldiers and from the Jewish Sanhedrin paled in insignificance compared to the punishment that Christ endured from the hand of his Father. Harry Ironside, in his commentary on Luke, put it this way. I printed it in blue in your bulletin on the left side. Look at it. He said, in those first three hours of darkness, Christ was suffering at the hands of man. He endured without a murmur all the shame and ignominy that man could heap upon him. But during the last three hours of darkness, he was suffering at the hands of God. The God who made his soul an offering for sin. And there he drank the bitter cup of judgment that our our sins had filled. The cup from which he shrank in Gethsemane which if we had to drink, could not be exhausted throughout eternity. God has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, because it was God as judge who was there dealing with his Holy Son on our behalf as Christ took the sinner's place. So the darkness signified divine judgment. It was a sign of God's judgment and wrath being poured out upon his Son. Now perhaps you might think God would have come in judgment upon the Jews or upon the religious leaders in Israel or upon Pilate or Herod or the Roman soldiers, but no. When darkness came, it was a visible sign that God's judgment had come and was now falling upon his only begotten and beloved Son. And God the Father himself was the one administering the judgment, pouring out all that sin deserved upon Jesus during those three hours of darkness at Calvary. This was the horror from which Christ recoiled in the garden. This was what made him literally sweat blood in anticipation of experiencing it. This was the cup that he asked the Father to remove from him if somehow that were possible. It was the prospect of God pouring out all that our sins deserved upon Jesus which was an infinite amount of punishment experienced by the infinite God-man who could bear it in the space 
of three hours. That's what happened between the Father and the Son in the darkness of those hours on the cross. And that is the heart, the very essence of the Christian gospel and of atonement and redemption. They say, well, pastor, how do you prove that from Scripture? Many other places, but Bruce read earlier from Isaiah 53. Those dark hours that our Lord spent upon the cross were the fulfillment of Isaiah's famous prophecy concerning Messiah, the suffering servant, where in verse 4 it's predicted that he would be smitten by God and afflicted by God. Did you catch that? He will be, Messiah will be smitten by God and afflicted by God, and that it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. And the Lord himself laid on him the iniquity of us all. This prophecy of Isaiah concerning Christ was fulfilled. Listen, it was fulfilled in these dark hours at Calvary. Now, admittedly, at this point, all illustrations break down and fall short of explaining exactly what Christ endured on the cross during those three hours, but perhaps a simple illustration can give some help. What's this, kids? What is that? Do you know? Adults? It's a magnifying glass. Thank you. If you put some really small twigs and dry uh, paper or leaves under the magnifier, then after a while, the concentrated spot of light from the sun eventually causes them to burn, right? Well, think of it this way. In a similar way, when Christ was on the cross from the sixth hour to the ninth, when he was on the cross during that time, our sins, yours and mine, Christian, were concentrated on him. And he experienced the fiery wrath of God for those sins. And as God the Son, as the infinite God-man... He was able to do what no ordinary man could do, namely, endure the hell sinners deserve for sin and totally appease God's wrath against it by perfect obedience to the law and the will of God. And that's what was happening on the cross in the darkness. Jesus suffered the punishment of hell and was immersed into it in our place as our substitute. Commenting on this, William Hendrickson, 
uh, wrote this, The darkness meant judgment, the judgment of God upon our sins. This punishment was borne by Jesus, so that he, as our substitute, suffered most intense agony, indescribable woe, terrible isolation, or forsakenness. Hell came to Calvary that day and the Savior descended into it and bore its horrors in our stead. End quote. In those three darkest hours the world has ever known, our sins were laid upon Christ and he was judged and punished for them there by God in our place. And in those three hours, Christ became sin and a curse for us. As the Father treated him as if he was the most ungodly, wicked sinner who had ever lived. Think of it. During those minutes and hours, the Father was treating his only begotten sinless son as the most ungodly, wicked sinner who had ever lived. And millions of times over since Christ suffered for the sins of a whole world of penitent sinners. In other words, what Christ suffered on the cross was the cumulative punishment due for the sins of countless millions of people who either had already trusted in Messiah who would one day come or like us who have trusted in the Messiah who has already come. This is what happened when the lights went out at Calvary and darkness came over all the earth and the sun was darkened. God poured out his wrath for sin in divine judgment upon his only begotten and beloved Son. Now, the third and last question will answer this morning is this. What does the Father's judgment of his Son at Calvary mean for you, for us? In other words, what does it mean that God the Father poured out his wrath for sin and divine judgment upon Jesus his Son? Well, it means that if you believe that, and believing that is essential to the Christian gospel, if you believe that, then your sins can be forgiven and will never be punished by God because God's Son was punished for them. And if God's Son was punished for them at Calvary, when the Father poured out his wrath for sin and divine judgment upon Jesus, then guess what? There is nothing left to punish. Amen? Which is why our Lord's last words on the cross were what? It is finished. It's finished. Because the work of redemption was completed at the moment of Christ's death. If Jesus, 
The substitute really took the bullet of God's wrath. If he really was their substitutionary sin bearer, then all those whom he represented are free and none of them will ever be punished even for one sin. Furthermore, the Father's judgment of his Son at Calvary means that you can pass, listen, you can pass from darkness to light and from death to life because the darkness at Calvary gave way to something. It gave way to light. It gave way to light. Writing to the Corinthians in his second epistle, Paul wrote this in chapter 4, verse 6. It is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And in John 8:12, Jesus called himself the light of the world. And since his light conquered death and sin and spiritual darkness by rising from the dead on the third day, now our deep spiritual darkness that we all have, don't we, by nature? Oh, it's a deep spiritual darkness. It's a darkness that turns its back on God. It's a darkness that refuses to obey his will and his law. And in fact, each and every one of us are responsible for our own sin. But Jesus also said, He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. What would you rather have? Darkness or light? Darkness or light? The good news is that you don't have to walk any longer in spiritual darkness because the light of the world has come and he is Jesus. Jesus, the light of the world, has conquered sin and death and darkness and the grave. How? By taking the bullet of God's wrath for sin on the cross at Calvary. And because he was the incarnate God-man, the Son of God, he was able to endure the punishment that every penitent sinner Deserved and then rise up from the dead on the third day according to the scriptures. What Christ suffered on the cross was the cumulative punishment due for the sins of countless millions of people. In those three darkest hours the world has ever known, the penalty for all of their sins was laid upon Christ and he was judged for them and he was punished for them by the Father 
in our place. And that's what happened when the lights went out at Calvary. And deep darkness covered all the earth. God poured out his wrath for sin in divine judgment upon his only begotten and beloved Son, so that you, listen, so that you can be delivered from darkness unto light. From darkness unto light. By believing and trusting in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, it all seems so simple in a way that something so profound as the death of Christ and the terrible judgment that Jesus took on that cross for sin could be so easily received. Help those who are here today to recognize their deep darkness that sin has created a deep and indelible mark on their soul and help them to see the light of life that Christ offers. That because he was a substitute at Calvary, because he took the bullet of your wrath, because he satisfied your law and its requirements, that sinners like us can Say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Grant faith to believe in Christ today to one or more, young or old, who are here. Help them to turn from their sin in grief and repentance, to be heavily burdened with that darkness and to believe and trust in your only begotten Son, your only beloved Son, whom you gave up to such a terrible death for the likes of us. Thank you that we can go from darkness to light because Jesus is the light of the world. We praise you and thank you for him and for his great provision of atonement and redemption, the forgiveness of sins, everlasting life. How we praise you for life eternal that you give us in him, in whose name we pray. Amen.